0: Welcome back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks, and on today's episode, I got the pleasure to talk to John Ricketts. John is the co-founder and chief executive of Riderly, and Riderly is a next-generation custom AI for business and enterprise. Their products integrate with automate and generate AI at scale and speed for commercial needs. And what was really fun to talk to him is, of course, in this time of AI hype, of this roller coaster of a new company coming out every five minutes for AI, they've been in a little bit longer. They did launch early 2023, but they've had time to slow down and actually have the patience to listen to their customers, force that restraint to build a product they really need. And that's what I loved about John. John had this passion to say, you know what? We're really really want to make sure our process is right. We really want to make sure that we're building a product that's right for our customers. And that's a, that's a hard thing to do. And it sounds to me like John and his team have done that really, really well. And I think you're going to love this conversation. So let's jump right in. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Why don't I throw it straight to you? Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're working on.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Uh, John Ricketts, co-founder and CEO of Riderly AI. Uh, Riderly AI is a Nashville, Tennessee uh, headquartered generative AI uh, company, really at the uh, the software application layer, uh, building some, some interesting and unique things on, on top of foundation models and then catering those to more uh, enterprise uh, and, and larger businesses and uh, prior to this I have uh, also uh, co-founded another um, software company in the wealth management space for digital onboarding um, still involved in that company more from a uh, from a board position and uh, prior to that just had had kind of a career that was in a mix between startups and uh, large multinational, uh, corporation, so playing sort of both sides of the spectrum, uh, with really just a focus on business development, market development, uh, bringing novel products and technologies uh, to life and to market, and really found that that's uh, what I enjoy doing and what I enjoy uh, building teams around. So that's uh, obviously led me to where I am today. Fantastic.
0: Okay. So so tell me the story behind Riderly. How did you come up with this idea? Who? What was the team? Um, how long have you been working on it too? Cause I mean, obviously generative AI sounds like, well, everybody's launching one right now, every, you know, a yeah. hundred of them a day, it seems like, but I get the sense that you've been working on this a little bit longer. So t- t- tell me that story.
1: Yeah, so we've been at this uh, almost a year and a half now. Um, so, so early 2022, uh, can't take credit uh, for the original idea. Had a co-founder uh, who was based in London and the company was actually, was actually conceived and, and founded in, in London. And was there yes. for the first six months of his, of his existence. Um, my co-founder had some other uh, really interesting software platforms that he had been working on concurrently and a few were, were taking off at a pace where he felt like he needed a little bit more involvement and uh, you know by that time I had seen um, you know really sort of uh, where the real powerful use cases for generative AI, at least in my opinion should be. Um, and so at that point, uh, we decoupled. He he went with his his other software. Um, it was an amicable split. Uh, it was a very good split actually. And then found that look, if I was gonna if I was gonna you know, lead this company sort of to the next stage, it wasn't practical for me to keep it in in London. So sure. I, I relocated it uh, to home uh, where it is in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're coming up on a year and a half now. Um, obviously went through um, sort of our Alpha and and Bravo product iterations. Uh, We did a full commercial launch uh, back in early April of this year. So we are really coming up on month four of commercial um, availability of Riderly as as the platform that we see now. And um, I'm really proud of what we built. We've been able to assemble a fantastic team and uh, we're having a lot of fun. So go back to the team. I love you know our audience
0: loves talking about the team because they're often part of a team, right? And so they're always trying to either structure the team or get the right people at the right stage of product development life cycles. So tell me about the early team first. What did the what was the first team like? And that might have been a London-based team or you know international team. But what was it like to start taking this idea, or even as you're picking it up um, from the original uh, kind of founding group? what was that original team like and then what does it become today um, over time because that that usually changes pretty quickly
1: you're exactly right uh the team is uh it's it's completely different today than where we began because when you're sort of ideating and then building uh an initial version of a product we were we were outsourcing uh, a lot of these specialized skills um really to to freelancers all over the globe Um, yeah And finding people that that wanted to uh, sort of experience a challenge in the space, um, but also understood that, you know, they may or may not be part of the long term plan, but they found it very interesting to build in the near term. And so that team uh, hung around. And then obviously, when I moved the company from the UK uh, to the US, uh, made the offer for anyone that wanted to stay. to certainly come on board. And we had a few that did. Uh, we had a few that, that had some other projects that they wanted to continue working on, uh, which was fine because the expectations were set pretty early. And then really once we re-headquartered in Nashville, I began um, looking in earnest at building a more permanent, more stable um, leadership team of initially sort of, you know, these are going to be player coaches and at least mm-hmm. in the early stage, want to find people that, um, are, are really good generalists. I've found that over my career that look there's nothing wrong with, with with a specialist at all, and and you need those people on your team. Um, they're incredibly valuable. But I think in the real early stages where everyone's you know wearing a lot of different hats and we're all doing a lot of different uh, roles and performing a lot of different tasks, the people that want to be spread out um, that don't mind going from operations to perhaps a little bit of of uh, marketing or business development or helping out with founder-led sales is really helpful. And then, you know, as you sort of organically grow, and um, I kind of equate it to if you have children, you always you always want to buy kind of the next size up or the next two sizes up because, you know, inevitably you're going to be there. Um, and, and it gives you some time, to, you know, you can wear it today, but then it, you, can, you can grow into these roles. And, and once these roles have been grown into, those typically tend to open up. Uh, opportunities to bring on, you know, a few more people that can help you sort of specialize in those areas of need the most. Um, so yeah, so really over the last year, uh, began with um, employee number one, Josh Grossman, who, who is our chief operating officer, as well as our chief product officer. And then between our W-2 employees, full-time employees and, and contractors, we're at a team of about 22 right now, as it is today. I love
0: For, that size. Uh, I love it. Actually, I want to, something you, put, you just said there, Josh's role being um, overlapped COO, CPO. Mm-hmm. That's actually something I'm actually running into more often now. We have a group um, that we put together. Actually, it's based off of People Product, uh, People Product Leadership Circle, where we start hosting these events with pro- leadership only. And I went looking for obviously first chief product officers, which is a relatively new title, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the scheme of kind of the history of business, Um, But what I found was actually a lot of COOs were wearing the hat of CPO. Um, Tell me what that looks like inside of your organization of kind of how that plays into both the person that's operating structuring teams, you know, giving them purpose, direction, et cetera, is also the person that's helping shape product direction in some ways.
1: Yeah. So after we after we moved to Nashville, um, you know, Josh and I uh, essentially were both sort of we were doing the COO role by committee. You know, yeah, um, yeah. We, we weren't specialized enough. We weren't large enough yet to really have those dedicated, but his his real passion was in product. Um, Got it. That's that's his background, that's his passion. And so we, we kind of always knew that that's the direction that he would head. Um, and as we began to build, uh, certainly his priorities shifted more in the product. He was extremely creative, um, uh, does a lot for us in terms of helping sort of guide product today and as well as where it's gonna go in the future. But then also you can't neglect ops. Um, but we also didn't feel like that we had a need to really bring on a specialized, uh, right. COO. And yeah. so even today, um, I think it's still kind of run by committee. He holds the official title. Um, but look, there's things, you know, that when we've got an important product release, uh, and, and there's, there's operational tasks that need to be done. You know, I'll step in. I'll handle them. Um, he certainly manages them from a the day to day. But I think, you know, having the ability, whether it's a a hybrid COO, CFO or a COO, CPO, um, there's a lot of value in that because inevitably there's going to be crossover, you know, unless you have an infinite budget. Um, And even if you did, I don't know if it would really make sense because we want to keep the team, you know, small, cohesive, um, because as a small startup, speed is a real, um, we want to weaponize speed and we want to be able to, to move quickly and intelligently and efficiently. Um, so it's just worked out for us, but I, I, I've always been a big fan of, of the hybrid roles and then sort of settling in where the most value is being created.
0: Especially at that early stage. I mean, I, I remember early on, even Dan and I, now we were in the agency world, we weren't doing as much, you know, launching our own products, but we found that same thing. It was a size issue, right? We needed to be thinking about, well, of course we're going to wear eight different hats. I'm going to take out the trash and then I'm going to go run payroll. You know, like all those things were necessary at the early days as we grew, of course, maybe you had folks that kind of slipped into where their forte was or where their specialty was or just where it was needed. And then we were on a mission as leaders to ultimately replace ourselves, right? Because oftentimes the founder is the bottleneck of the growth of any company. Um, So that's great. I love the fact that you're thinking that way. I'm curious what you know, you're in, you're in a relatively interesting space. You're building a product that ultimately is, a, as, as I understand it, Riderly is a SaaS product um, at its core, which is kind of a quote-unquote web 2.0 uh, business model. But you're very much playing in kind of next wave technology with generative AI. Talk about some of the both um, what you pull from the past or the way that things have been made before. And then what are some of the challenges that you're going into in this kind of new world of AI, I guess, if we're, we're looking at it that way?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, but I think, you know, AI is really following a trajectory that every new technology typically follows. So while it's something new from a tool uh, and a tech perspective, there's still a certain cadence, right? These, these new technologies typically evolve and begin in sort of the university or laboratory settings from a research perspective. And then the deep commercialization stems from that, where it typically goes to sort of the foundation layer, which we've seen where you've got your open AIs and your Googles and videos, Microsoft and others that are emerging. And then generally the last frontier that really experiences the, the big rush of a new technology is at the application layer. Mm-hmm. And that's where Riderly, that's where we live and, and we embrace the application layer because there's a lot of value to to provide there by by understanding the consumer base on one side that has a need for it, but also understanding the technical opportunity and technical limitations on the foundation side. And so we sort of view ourselves as a translator um, mm-hmm. in that we are building, um, certainly, you know, I think everything should for the most part be going in a no-code direction right now. But what can the everyday person, the everyday professional that's out there that has a thousand other tools at their disposal, what's going to be the most meaningful for them to be able to extract value out of what we're building versus something else? And that's where that's where that, that's our swim lane. And I think that's where we perform really, really well. Um, but whether it's you know uh, cellular service, whether it's the internet, they've all sort of followed this same cadence. And you know, it's our responsibility at the application layer to serve as that translator between the end user buyer and what the technology can actually do, and, and also sort of help uh, serve as a bit of a tastemaker in terms of use cases, help. You know, that's really what market development really is. You, you're, there is no precedent, um, which is great because you avoid bias, yeah. uh, but it's also really hard because you tend to have to sell it multiple times. You have to sell the, the the infrastructure technology, you have to sell the use case, and then you have to sell why it's beneficial to that particular you know, person or that company. Um, so it has its advantages and drawbacks, but, but but we love that.
0: Are you finding, so a little bit stepping into the marketing, but well, I want to come back to product, but on the marketing side of things, are you finding that that, that newness, like you said, that kind of telling the use case, telling the story is both it's, it's at a time when the hype is high, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a little bit of the wave to ride for at least for a period of time to say, what is it? It's 85% of executives are, you know, AI is at the top of their, um, their strategic initiatives, right? So is that's going to help a little bit, but also you have this translation issue, right? To say that people don't completely understand it yet. Um, They don't have, they don't necessarily need to, they need to understand what the outcome is, what the afters are, what do you get from having a tool that will help you in this way? What's been the, is it create a faster buying cycle, maybe because of the hype or a slower buying cycle because of um, understanding?
1: I think it's a little, it's, it's a blend of both because you're, you know, if you follow any sort of any paradigm, you've got your early adopters and then you've got your next cohort that that is somewhat early, but likes to be patient. And then you have your, your laggards and your your late adopters. Um, So I think probably not the answer you're looking for, but I think it's a little bit of both. Um, The biggest challenge that we're running up against is, is how to frame and how to anchor, like what is AI, Mm. right? What is AI? yeah Um, Because, most people have have really anchored it and framed it to chat right where they can enter something in and it'll it'll produce something and spit something out there's you know uh, thousands uh, hundreds of thousands of use cases for artificial intelligence um, the models are extremely powerful uh, the the future use cases are going to be innumerable but it's how do you how do you you know when you're talking to these executives of the company who clearly acknowledge hey we have to have an AI plan. We have to, AI has to play a part in our strategic roadmap. Well, where do you, what do you use AI for? You know, what are your biggest challenges? And so you have to, you have to align its capabilities with where they perceive their biggest opportunities or their risks are within their roadmap. And then you begin to sort of marry the message between, hey, this is what's possible today. This is what's possible next quarter. This is what's possible probably next year. And then begin sort of, sort of Cultivating that, um, we found it pretty easy in terms of a generative sense. Generative AI, uh, you know, really in the text and image based, is pretty benign, right? We're not, yeah. You know, yeah. At least in in our in our swim lane, we're not applying artificial intelligence to um, to healthcare, to power systems. Um, we are really sort of Riderly is is kind of a horizontal generative AI uh, platform for marketers, creators of any type. Um, it's, it's, generally bent, it's generally built and meant for medium to large size enterprises. And so some yeah. additional yeah. features beyond the journey of AI, we focused on are distribution, intra-organizationally, uh, distribution outside of your organization, if you're working with outside agencies and making it just easier to affect those outcomes that are needed. Um, but at the same token, it's, you know, you talk to, to anyone in leadership at, at a company, especially if they're publicly traded, and AI has to be a part of their plan. That's what the shareholders be, yeah. want. That's what, that's what the public markets are rewarding right now. Um, but then you really ask them, how do they see that achieving? And um, six months ago, there wasn't really an answer. Now we're getting a little closer to determining what it is that's going to make a meaningful difference inside of their organization.
0: Well, tell me, let's, let's go to straight to the product. Tell me a little bit more about Writerly. Um, what does it do? Who's it for? Um, and, then, and then we can talk about, I'd love to see how the teams are shaped that kind of put that focus around that. But what, what is Writerly? What
1: is yeah, Writerly is, uh, is a software platform that users come in and they can generate content or copy around any sort of, uh, what I would say, uh, uh, marketing, um, advertising, uh, general content creation tool. So the easiest way would be to think ChatGPT, but ChatGPT for, for business or enterprise, right? Um, where the, you know it's, it's nice to have the ability to create content and be able to create it quickly, um, but you also have to have some automations built in. You have, to, you have to have integrations to be able to take what you've generated and to deploy it into those places where the content is ultimately going to go Post editorial cycles, so whether that's uh, in, into places like Webflow or CMS or Facebook, Meta, uh, LinkedIn, Microsoft Word, um, things of that nature. Um, being able to permission around teams, you know, you look at you look at things and how organizations are structured, and team permissioning uh, it was a feature that that we discovered was very important early on to be able to share mm. amongst team members. That way, you're not having you know siloed individuals creating work product and then having to manually save export you know send an email and things like that because um, we just we really live in an age of software that has to have it has to be automated it has to be integrated um, and it has to be easy to work with if it's going to play a role in, in your tech stack so that's what writerly is uh, and and we have you know we've since since we've launched uh, really this year um, we're adding about uh, last last month was the first month we went over a hundred thousand new users uh in, in the month of June. We're on pace to add about 150,000 new users uh, for July. So there's really some nice growth there as our users sort of really understand, hey, what can I use uh, generative AI for? And I think there's also a learning that's occurring from our end user marketplace. Whereas six months ago, we kind of, you know, we, we were all looking at this technology like a dog looks at the FedEx truck that he's barking at on the road. It's like, well, if you catch it, what are you gonna do with that type thing? And yep. it's nice and it's cool, but how do I use it? Um, We've had two quarters now to really start to understand and learn from each other, whether it's on Twitter or LinkedIn, seeing you know what prompt engineers are able to create. There's a there's a really interesting ecosystem that's um, that's emerging out of this, and then from Writerly, because it's it's really this broad horizontal platform, our users um, we're able to tell where our users are spending their, the most amount of time and what they're creating and then ultimately determining, you know, what's of highest value from there, because from there, we're able to build more hyper verticalized products for specific use cases. Yeah. And so our first hyper verticalized product uh, is in the e-commerce space where we're able to now pair a generative AI platform like Riderly with some really unique, traditionally siloed data sets that, that generate the automation and the integration that people that are selling products digitally and online uh, need that have some really, really interesting features. So we have, uh, we have Riderly um, that serves a very large, very growing user base. Um, and then you know, over the next couple of quarters, we'll be introducing some more specialized products from there um, that are really built around the data that's been accumulated from our users up until this point.
0: Well, and I'm, I don't know how many times I was told, if not been a part of conversations that say niche down, niche down, niche down, right? I mean, that's always the goal. And it sounds like you're doing that both with the what you've learned from Riderly, but maybe taking it into even more niche markets that it can be deployed uh, for a specific use case, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which I think is really exciting. So I'm going to go back to the teams then. You said you have roughly about 20 folks, at mm-hmm. least on the core team what is, how are the teams set up then? So, cause I, if I'm hearing right, I, we have this core product Riderly. We have Riderly and inside of it, of course, is going to have, um, its core purpose, which is maybe the generative, uh, creation process, but then you have everything about permission controls, integrations. Mm-hmm. And I think there's different ways that different companies splice those. They'll either say they are, Kind of uh feature focused teams which is to say i have my integrations team or i have my you know core product feature team or i have my permission management team or I have my devops team what how are your team maybe maybe at this point in the game you're like they're all doing it all and we're running and gunning um and then you're talking about this new product offering um is there a team that's carved off focus completely on that Um, just tell me a little bit about how that, that shape and size looks like from a product perspective. And then I want to hear about how it connects to marketing, but let's start, start first with the the product.
1: So from a product perspective, um, we, you know, our, our DevOps team and engineering, the way that they built Riderly and sort of the core chassis was, was, was one of our fundamental, um, strengths. Mm. And it was always meant to be able to deliver a vertical solution in a very easy manner. So what we have built at the core of Riderly can be partitioned off and aimed at a particular use case with the addition of a couple of things. So we, you know, having gone through the introduction of e ecom, uh, which is our, our e-commerce aimed uh, vertical product, um, we were able to launch that product in about six weeks from start yeah. to finish. And fortunately for us, um, we didn't have a dedicated team. Um, because this was the first time that we did this. And so we took uh, a committee, sort of an all-hands approach. We, we moved quickly. We, we launched e And now that we've gone through the exercise, um, we, we, we like to go back and essentially do sort of a, a, you know, a, a post-analysis on processes. You know, we're going to do this again. Uh, and when we go do it again, what are the needs? Who are the people? You know, that sort of thing. So by going through and and having it done sort of in an all hands fashion at first, now we know that if we go back and and when we do this again, we know how many people we need from this team, you know, who we need from over here, and then it's hopefully wash, rinse, repeat. But obviously everything's a forecast, everything's best laid plans. Um, And if if we know one thing about startups is that everything changes. Um, But we try to take a very process driven approach. it's just, it's, it's far easier to manage and we, we try to collect data and then assume outcomes um, based on scenarios that either we took or we didn't took or didn't take. And, um, you know, we just, we try to do it the best we can. But in our particular instance with the people that we had, we needed more people working on it than not. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's going to be the case the next time.
0: Yeah. You find efficiencies, right? We, we talk about retrospectives as a really powerful way to say what went well. Obviously, it sounds like in six weeks to launch a new product. That's great. Yeah. Uh, what didn't go well? What could have gone better? You know, and what are we going to change? Right. Um, so maybe it's a change of we either need more people dedicated to this or we need less. I mean, maybe it could only be a handful of people that can stand these up pretty quickly for each of these niche markets that we want to go after. That's that's really exciting. That's I think a lot of organizations try to do that. Um, oftentimes. More so with the enterprise, and of course, that's who you're selling to. So you hear this: they're struggling with bureaucracy, right? That the, the, the structural change that's needed for that is more difficult, almost than the change itself.
1: Oh, completely um, agree.
0: Yeah. So within a startup, you have the flexibility to to move people around the way that you need to as quickly as you need to.
1: It's really refreshing at this stage. And like I said, I've I've had the I've been fortunate to see both sides of the fence, both on you know companies that were you know five to twenty that were startups as well as um, a few multinationals that had tens of thousands of employees across the globe. And what you said is exactly right. I think, um, you know, experience is a great teacher and the bureaucracy, the things that that are that unnecessarily hold things up that you find with large organizations are just mad. They're just frustrating um, because they they don't need to be there. And we recognize that that's a luxury that we have right now not to engage in that. But of course, you know, by virtue of who we're selling to, we run up against it, you know, in things like the contracting phase where you've just got so many stakeholders that you're dealing with um, that that's just, that's part of it. But we can control what we control and we want to move quickly. We want to move efficiently. And, um, and, you know, we're going to continue to do that for as long as we can.
0: So I'm curious, when you come back to the product itself, that we have this um, some language that we often use where we talk about, there's a few principles. So I like to think in principles rather than in policy, right? So when I think about principles, sometimes you think about the principles of the product. And I'm curious, with Riderly, or with even these niche products that you're spinning off from Riderly, would you say that Riderly's intent is to have an opinion or being opinionated software? Meaning we have a, a process approach that we think that the way that you do this should be A, B, C. We have a flow and, you know, et cetera. Or is it, we have, a, um, we have the ingredients, we have an, an unopinioned piece of software. So the difference might be like Miro or Notion or something like that is relatively unopinionated. It's, they give you the space to do whatever you want to do with it. Um, or uh, something like maybe Jira where it's like, hey, follow the agile process. And it's, it's by the book. This is how we do it. You have to kind of stay within the bounds or within the the constraints with Riderly. How are you thinking about it for your end users? Is it a, is it something where there's a structure, really strong structure in place or you're giving them an open playground?
1: Yeah. So Riderly is very much sort of unopinionated, um, but that's by design. We want the market to sort of naturally learn and to, to sort of instruct us from a voice of customer perspective on what's most valuable, what they're using. Now, the vertical products that we, that we spin out from Riley are very much opinionated because what we found is that when we engage in conversations, high-level conversations with, you know, fortune 100 companies, fortune 200 companies, and so on, is that they love the idea, but they don't, they don't really know what they want. And so one of the, you know one of the strengths of our team is a is a deep knowledge base and expertise in what the limitations and opportunities are for generative ai today as well as what's coming and so i think it's for the at least the vertical products it's our responsibility to lead in that category hmm. because we're not building me too products we're building products that are an n of one and I think there's, there's a lot of value in us being able to go to a large company and say, this is what we've built. These are our ingredients. This is the expected outcome. And there's far more reception, at least in the generative AI space today for us being able to help guide and walk with that customer through what this outcome should look like based on how we've built the product. Because if we just took it, you know, especially with a hyper vertical solution and we take it and we, and we lay it at the feet, it's, it's just, it's going to sit there because mm-hmm. we still don't know a whole lot about it. So our customers are looking at us going, okay, what, how do we, this is what we want. You guys have built it. How do we use it? Tell us yeah. how we use it. Cause it's far yeah. more efficient for them. Now over time, once they become more comfortable and they have more options in the marketplace, well, they'll ultimately become far more opinionated on the software. And we would expect First. that, right? Yeah, I think right now from a timing perspective, um, we, we need to be uh, sort of the category leader and, and, and saying, hey, we've engineered this for your specific use case and, and specifically the outcome that you desire. Um, here's what it is, follow these instructions and let's go win.
0: I mean, it's the, it's the old adage of nobody really knows what to do with a blank piece of paper, right? right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's really difficult, especially if they've like, I've heard of paint, I've heard of you know, yeah. charcoal or whatever, but I don't know how to put it on this piece of paper. And I don't, I definitely don't know how to put, turn it into a piece of art, um, which is again, the limitless nature of that is exciting, right? For an artist, which you can kind of parallel your team as being the artists. We know what we could, what could be done with this, but to give it some structure really helps those early adopters say, Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, this is, this is the potential. This is where we could go with it.
1: Uh, and as they sport. get
0: the skills of not knowing how to color in the, the, the lines, then they can go, I don't need the lines anymore. We can do something great.
1: No, that's a great, that's a great point. You know, we have, um, we, we actually, we have a lot of artists uh, as part of our team. We have a lot of creatives that are, are specialists, whether it's uh, in engineering coders, developers, product, uh, even sales. We have a lot of musicians. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of artists. And so the sort of the internal, uh, internal mantra for at least writerly has has always been, you know, we're a team of artists and and the medium is software. And we have the chance to take these new tools and to create new works that other people can benefit from. But right now we have to be um, the the quasi experts until the rest of the market gets to a point um, where they they can feel safer and comfortable telling us exactly what they need.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's really good. I love that analogy. Okay, um, I'll I'll be remiss if I don't ask because people always call me out to ask. Yep. Do you have product management on your your team? This is a big this is a big controversy right now. Um, Figma conference just came out, and I think um, one of the founders of uh, Airbnb basically announced we don't do product management anymore. We only have designers working you know directly with developers, and they get everything done. I'm curious what is what are the, your pods look like? What are your team structures
1: or your roles that look like and on your teams? So our team we, we we have to have product management right now because yeah. ultimately what we're building has has never been built before, at least in in the form that we're building it and so when you have two distinct groups like like developers and designers trying to come together, and they're going, okay well there, there is no precedent we don't yeah. we, we need some level of direction here but it's funny because at least in in, in our company, the product managers are Again, it's by committee. Uh, You know, we have our our head of product that that runs and and owns everything and is is ultimately accountable to everything from the product. But we also have marketing and we have myself um, from from the CEO perspective that are involved in that product management and helping sort of shape the vision. And we want people involved in this from a technical and a non-technical perspective. Because ultimately, when you're dealing with software uh, at the product level, what it comes down, you know, we have very talented people. We can build some really, really interesting features and, and, but it has to be usable and it has to be easy. And so I think the biggest risk when you don't have, you know, at least and this is just my opinion, but when you don't have that level of management and you get two very, very talented groups together, like designers and developers, it's very easy to build beyond what the market really wants. And so our job, particularly with, with generative AI and what we see at the application layer, and and writerly, I'm including writerly in this group as well. But what where we see is that early on, we built products that far exceeded what our end users really understood. Mm, mm-hmm. And so we're trying to walk that back a little bit. Yeah. And basically say, hey, no, you know, we, we kind of we, we shot out of the gates and took it from a, you know, a zero to a to a six or a seven, but our users wanted it back at a two or a three. Yeah. Yeah. And. You know, and so that's that's where I think. And, and as I look out and, and see, you know, all the new companies from the market maps that are coming out, I think in general, we are getting better at building for today because it's like anything new. When you when you get some really talented people working on it, they push the limits. But it, right. but when you're building a company, you have to sell what you've you've built. And if you have a product that that, that sort of goes beyond where the market is, um, you're you're typically not going to sell a whole lot of it. And so um, we found that the oversight is critical, at least for us. And it's really just, it's really around the UI and and, Mm. and the UX. Like we have to make it something that's comfortable to them. These people, at least at the enterprise level, are accustomed to HubSpot, Zapier, and all these tools that are in their tech stack. And so at least right now, we have to have some sort of common denominator in terms of usability with what they're accustomed to. The outcomes may be a little bit different, but we're not ready to go. Hey, not only is this new, but you're going to have to train and learn on this. And you know, look, we all think that our products are the most important, right? Right. But the people that are our end users, they they have hundreds of products that they're using on a daily basis, and we have to do a better job of um, which I think we have over the last couple of months of of making it uh, just more usable. So, product management, at least for us right now. Still really necessary, who knows what that whole sound road.
0: Yeah. Um and, and that's what we're hearing most of the time as well. I think that there's this these kind of archetypes of companies that have maybe find found efficiencies the way at the stage that they're at. Mm-hmm. I love that you're focused on UX, UI. Just looking at the product, it looks great. Um, and that's hard to achieve. because um, it it's both like you said, it's the talent of the the artistry of building product, yeah. but also the restraint to to pull back and say, what Less is more sometimes, right? Like yes. what do we really need here? Um, and also pace, right? You talked about speed as a factor right now for you to be able to get to market, be one of the early options um, for these companies that are, that are all looking very quickly right now. They're all looking to be buying something that's gonna put them at least in the, the playing field. Yes,
1: and you know, from a product perspective, it's um, at least in a, in a space like, like AI is or generative AI, it's natural to want to move quickly because the market is moving so fast and, and every week every every month there are you know there's there's new cohorts of of different companies doing different things and one of the things that we've learned and i think that it's because of we're not new like we are new per se but we're you know we've been at this for almost a year and a half now yeah is that we've we've intentionally throttled back we we still we still execute at a, at a high rate of speed we don't feel this need or this pressure to be, you know, the first or the leader and then to because early on, you're trying to respond to the market and, and it's easy to fall into the trap of, well, everyone else is building this. We need to build this, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: Even if you can build that in three days in the 72 hours that it took you to build that that, that feature has been leapfrogged by someone else and you're never going to catch up. And so we understand that the only product that we can control is the one that we put in the market. Now we obviously want to pay attention to what's out there. There's some really talented teams and really talented companies that I wouldn't call them competitors because the market's so large. Yeah, but, right. But these are pure companies that we have a lot of admiration and respect for. Um, but but by just demonstrating a little more patience and and slowing down has been has been very good for us because it, it helps us listen uh, to what. the the market really wants to what our users want to see instead of us going into this natural sort of, Hey, we can build this, we should build this and this is going to be cool Um, because we've done that. And ultimately we look at the data and say, you know, that's interesting. Nobody, nobody wanted that. They didn't want to use that. You know, I wonder why that is, but when we've taken the time to really study, you know, put the data together, we see that anything that we built is getting far more utilization than something that we just come up with because We're just listening to the market. And, um, you know, it's simple advice. It's really, really hard at a startup to, to execute.
0: Yeah. I, I've been in in a part, a number, a number of startups and I think that advice is so good that patience, right. Mm -hmm. Um, to, and the ability to slow down when it feels like all you can think about is going faster. Um, but, but, A couple things happen. One, you burn out your team, you know, you're just not able to sustain that level of energy for that long, unless you have very, very high capacity across everyone. That's not usually the case. Maybe it's the founder has a lot of capacity, but not necessarily everybody else the same way. And then the other thing is, is that you miss things, right? You're moving so fast, you actually miss what's important. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that is fantastic advice. Okay. Well, I want to, I want to kind of bring us to a close um, because this has been fascinating. Um, not only is this space fascinating with um, where AI is going right now, but also just, I think the fact that it sounds like you're really being extremely intentional about building a team that knows how to build great products, which is not easy to do that in and of itself not you know let alone building great products but building the, that kind of team that culture yeah. um is is a that's a lot of work so well done um i want to i want to ask you though what is something whether it's in your in your product itself mm-hmm. in your space in the market uh or in the world i guess for that matter what's something you're excited about that's coming um give well, give a time frame let's say over the next 18 months who knows can who can see 18 months but in the next 18 months What's, what's something you're just going, ah, I'm really pumped about this.
1: You know, I think, uh, you know, from, from our market in particular, we're going to see so many, you know, there were, th- there were things that were introduced in the month of June from startup companies that were revolutionizing. Even what was built in March and April, the, the rate of iteration is like, is unlike anything I've ever seen. And when you, when you look out and you go, you know, what we thought was possible back in January might be available, you know, in two years, it's going to be available in two quarters. Right. Because so many people are working uh, very intelligently in the space and unlocking new use cases and figuring this out. We're all sort of, we're all in this together right now and we're all learning from each other. And um, I think from an, from an 18 month perspective, I think what I'm most excited about is um, our, our, it are vector databases. And what that what that really means are these are really advanced chatbots that, right. you know, could reside on uh, on, on a marketing website. Uh, but also they they reside on um, uh, internal websites. So these are these are help centers. These are, you know, I think the way that we browse websites is going to fundamentally change um, in a very short order when you have these sort of concierge services that once you land on a site it's able to get you through a natural language process to what you are there to explore or see or learn much much faster than sort of right now we just we have a landing page with navigation tools and it's a it's a self-curated experience um these vector databases and we're starting to see more and more um you know these 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 intelligent chatbots. But if you land on a site and it's it's like, what are you looking for? Instead of going to click, you know, uh, men's clothing, drilling down to, you know, uh, dress shirts, then drilling down into to sizes, right? These are going to be far more intelligent and you're going to be able through a natural language process to say, hey, you know, I want French blue. This is my size. This is the type of, of, of you know, collar that I like. Yeah. It's going to take you right there. I think just the fundamental uh, way that we explore and interact with websites and from an engagement perspective, um, it's going to be really exciting. Um, And not just in the e-commerce standpoint. When you are looking at, uh, you know, national parks to go explore, you're going to be able to get a far more immersive experience from our website um, than than you are today. So uh, it's not going to take 18 months to get there, but that's something that I've been looking Really forward to for the past three or four months, and um, we're starting to see it become a lot more prevalent. But just navigation usability, access to information faster and more efficiently—it's really really
0: cool. Well, and what I'm I'm excited for to kind of echo off of that is this like that it's scoped properly, right? Yeah. So one mm-hmm. of the things that I was you know the intrigue and kind of the um, the novelty of ChatGPT or of these uh, large language model. Um, Approaches was cool, right? It was like, wow, this is very sophisticated. I can ask anything, we can go anywhere to an extent. And then what I found was what I really wanted to do was I wanted it to be scoped to the context that I was in, yeah. right? So you said, like, how can we do this in the e commerce site that mm-hmm. I'm in? Uh, Intercom released, I don't know if you've used Intercom much, but it's kind of a chat embed, right? Mm-hmm. So a support. Um, Embed. We used to use it a lot, and they they added Chat GPT. And to my disappointment, it still felt like Chat GPT over here, and it was still looking for the help center request like answer to to usher them off to a page. And it, you could tell they were struggling to say, "We don't really know how to contain and scope this." To the knowledge base that we really have around our product, with this large language model that can make meaning of that and protect the person to the right place, uh, and they—you re- you could definitely tell they didn't trust it. <laughs> so, um, and, and like you said, but that's iterating. They had to release right, something right. to get information to to learn what it would do to for, figure out how to better scope it down. So, I well, think it's exciting times.
1: I was reading something that that a lot of companies are abandoning uh, a, a lot of their their formal you know training employee training processes, right? Yeah. Now. For whatever yeah. reason, and I think because we're, we're we're more of in a work from home environment than than we were four to five years ago, trying to execute that digitally, um, some things are falling through the crack. But you know, was talking with another founder um, uh, a few weeks ago, and sort of imagining what it would look like, you know, to have a tool that could crawl your internal Slack communication channels and recognize the most frequently asked questions amongst your colleagues, yes. right? And to be able to display a dashboard you know you know almost in a sense of how seo is is a dynamic engine Mm -hmm. where particularly internal to companies where access to information is is needed by everyone every day and to be able to curate that in a fashion that that number one you don't have to go to an individual person and rely on a a slower means of email or a slack message but to have that and, and you can you know to have that at your fingertips and to accomplish it through natural language uh, is is going to be awesome. But there's there's so many possibilities that we can go to, and think from a from a training perspective. I mean, it doesn't matter if you've worked for a company for five years or twenty five years. There's always questions, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the person that's worked for twenty five years is creating a body of work through emails and other work product that would be fantastic training data for future models for future employees. So. This cascade effect of, of, of reining in you know, all of the work and all of the information into sort of these centralized sources that have nice usability, um, that feels intuitive, uh, which is really important. It's going to be really cool to see.
0: I launched my company, my agency, in 2008, 2009, kind of the dawn of the web 2.0 when, again, software was moving to the cloud was moving to web based um, and I was a UX designer by trade and so I was all about saying like can we for the love of all that is good can we make these things beautiful and usable right yeah. and it was exciting times because everybody was running so fast we were all building lots of things none of us really knew what we were doing until we knew what we were doing right, right. Um, and and it feels a, a lot like that now cuz honestly I was talking to my business partner I kind of felt like that had been lost for a little while it was getting yeah. Kind of redundant and quiet, and I feel like there's a resurgence of energy and focus. So I'm 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 pumped for for the, the age that we're in now. We'll see where it goes, and yeah. uh, I'm along for the ride. I'm along for the ride. Okay. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to plug. So so uh, tell us a little bit about where people can find you, where they can find your company, um, and learn more about what you're working on. Yeah,
1: Thanks. sure. I mean, uh, I'm I'm always available by email, John J O N at Writerly AI yai AI. Uh, encourage anyone with any questions, um, You know, happy to, to correspond there. Also on LinkedIn, uh, John Ricketts, J-O-N-R-I-C-K-E-T-T-S. Uh, company website, writerly.ai, W-R-I-T-E-R-L-Y.ai. And uh, you can also find our new vertical uh, e-commerce platform, uh, which which I think is super interesting uh, at Ecom uh, AI. it's E-K-O-M. Um, but really appreciate you having me on. This has been a fantastic conversation. Always love talking about where we are and where we're going.
0: Uh, John, this has been so good. Thank you for joining us today. And really, thank you for the, the intentionality of the work that you're doing. It's, it's hard work, but it's exciting. The results can be really, really cool. So thanks for coming on today. Thank you. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a design consultancy that helps forward-thinking leaders discover, understand, and execute on their greatest opportunities. Learn more at crema.us.